the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another episode of the CUSA Underdog Podcast. We continue our series this week, uh, diving into each team and league throughout the offseason with someone who follows them as closely as I follow new menu items at Wendy's. Uh, Joe Londrigan here with you, as always, alongside Mr. Eric Henry. And today we are looking into what's going on with the Florida Atlantic Owls. Our guest today spends a great deal of time covering them as a beat reporter for the Palm Beach Post. He is Mr. Jake Elman, uh, and he can be found on Twitter at Jake Elman. Jake, once again, man, appreciate you coming on today. Thank you for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, and uh, understand you and Eric know each other a little bit just from uh, you know covering sports down in the same general part of the country. Yeah, I ran into Eric uh, right before this past Shula Bowl game. Eric, I'm sure Eric would like to very much forget about. Good guy, good guy. Uh, obviously, big fan of Underdog Dynasty, have been. Uh, get along great with some of your guys, so really good to be on. Yeah, man, we appreciate yeah, having you. I mean, it, that's, that's kind of the nice thing about the, like, CUSA, you know, blogger, beat writer – Twitter sphere is that everybody seems to like get along pretty well. There's no, there's no real bad blood to speak of, at least from what I can see. Yeah. I think, I think part of it is just for a lot of these teams, I don't want to say that the following is small, but there's not as much national exposure. When you look at a school like FAU or FIU, they're not going to get the attention that Miami or UF or FSU does. So it's smaller beats. It's more fan sites. And you know, it's a nice little community. I think, especially in the past couple of years. You know, I've been doing FAU since 2016 with the post since 17, and I think the past two years, maybe two and a half years, we've really seen this media community grow. Especially the people that are out there almost every day or every day. Yeah, it makes things a lot more fun. That's for sure. <clears throat> you know. Joe, I just want to piggyback really quick and mention uh, Jake and I ran into him in trouble for the Shula Bowl. And, you know, for those of you guys listening, the number one thing that us uh, beat writers or journals in general that we care about is the media spread as far as food goes. I know Jake shot me a message wondering what the uh, food was like at FIU, and I've asked him questions about what the food is like at FAU. So that's kind of how the, the relationship was struck from there, just our general love of, of free media food, which is all we care about. So <laughs> It is one of the best parts of being a college beat writer. If you have to pay for food somewhere, don't do it. <laughs> Zod's are you're going to get it's filled no- up uh, somewhere along the way, right? No doubt about that. But Jake, we're going to go ahead and jump in here, kind of get started with the Owls. And I'm going to take the first set of questions here. So first set kind of start with the quarterback, Chris Robinson. And um, first question is, in year two, what would be fair expectations out of him? You know, he kind of had an up and down season. And he was kind of stepping into uh, entering the season. It wasn't sort of the biggest shoes with the retract, with the, excuse me, with the retirement of, of Jason Driscoll. But you kind of saw a little bit of a change in the offense and and just wondering what you can kind of expect from him entering year two. You know, I hate saying that there are no expectations because it is kind of a cop-out answer. But, you know, right now on March 19th, I think there's just so many questions with Chris Robinson's development, 
Where does he fit into this offense in year two? Can he hold off Nick Tronti, Cordell Littlejohn? You know, I, if they add another quarterback at some point, if they're able to, you know, that's really my biggest question about Chris Robinson. Can he? Is he going to be the starter against Ohio State on August 31, or is he going to be the backup? Is he going to be the third string? When will he really put his foot down and say, you know, I'm the starter? You know, I started 11 out of 12 games last year. This is my team. I think that's the biggest thing I need to see from him. It's not so much the on-field stuff. You know, he was a redshirt freshman last year. He had a couple good games. You know, I thought against Charlotte, the game that he got benched, I thought was actually one of his best games of the year, just watching him watching him make throws that maybe earlier in the year he wouldn't have made. But he also had the four interception game against Marshall. You had the Friday night game at UCF. We need to see Chris Robinson really say, this is my team. This is my quarterback job. I'm glad you mentioned that because that actually was going to kind of nice segue into my next question, which is, is there any level of certainty that he does start that opening game versus Ohio State? And kind of a two-part question here, what would you say? I know you kind of hinted at that it wasn't necessarily an on-field thing as much as it was a mentality aspect from him, but what would you say is the biggest quote-unquote deficiency in his game that he really needs to make a leap from year one to year two? Well, with the uncertainty, part of it is just, you know, Lane Kiffin is somebody who really likes having the competition. You know, two years ago, DeAndre Johnson's first year, and we're guilty of it, all the talk was, well, DeAndre Johnson is the favorite to be the starter. DeAndre Johnson's going to be the starter. Meanwhile, Daniel Parr winds up starting against Navy, and DeAndre Johnson plays in a handful of plays and then goes down for the season because of the blood clots. So, you know, these quarterback battles – I don't want to say that somebody isn't the favorite or that somebody isn't that somebody doesn't have a chance because Chris Robinson, you look at the traditional stuff. I mean, the guy starts eleven games in a twelve-game year. You think that he is the favorite, but at the same time, you know what can Tronti do with meaningful reps? What can Little John do with meaningful reps? So I think that that's more the uncertainty is that you have two guys. Tronta began his career in Indiana. Lil John was committed to Illinois. You know these aren't these aren't average guys that are kind of your average conference USA or even FCS guy. These are guys who began their careers in some of the best programs in the country. And then, kind of transitioning from the quarterbacks to the, the backfield. Obviously, you know anyone who watches this league, follows this league, listens to this podcast. Is familiar with the success that FAU had in the backfield, and that pretty much starts with Mr. Devin Singletary. In addition to losing Motor, they also lost Terrence White Jr. So my first question here is: Is this is it going to be BJ Emmons, uh, kind of being that you know quote unquote bell cow running back, or do you look for more of a running back by committee to replace the production that you lost with not only Motor but Terrence White as well? I think we're going to see more of a running back by committee. You know, it's what. And it's easy to forget, FAU kind of had a running back by committee the year Motor almost ran for 2,000 yards. You know, it was Motor, it was Buddy Howell now with the Texans. Kirith White found a way to get some carries. Marcus Clark had a couple carries. You know, Motor took over as the bell cow at the end of the year, but when FAU was starting to go on that 10-game winning streak, it was, you know, Motor's going to get 
20 carries and Buddy's going to get 10 carries. I think it could be the same this year. You know, B.J. Emmons is here now. They signed some freshmen that are really that have the potential to be really good. Kelvin Dean, uh, Larry McCammon from Hoover in Alabama, Tyreek Tisdale still here, Chauncey Mason, Trey Mason's brother. So there's a lot of guys, and I think that if you have three or four guys who show that they deserve to get the ball, that Kiffin and Charlie Weiss Jr. are going to get them the ball. You mentioned some of the young guys they have coming in. This is just kind of a uh, off-topic question here. In, in your experience, with you know you've been there around the program for a few years now, um, and with covering FIU, I know some of the certain challenges that they have in recruiting. And I'm just curious, uh, and it's also for those people who are listening, how would you describe recruiting at FAU, and what would you say are some of the biggest challenges and some of the biggest positives that they have in terms of recruiting down there in Boca? I think one of the positives that we've really seen in the past couple of years is just having Lane Kiffin. You know, obviously now they have this, the new Schmidt Center, which is going to open most likely this fall, probably November, December, um, the, which is going to have it's going to be an updated training facility with some indoor aspects. But you know, having Lane Kiffin helps. Having some SEC Power Five type coaches helps. Sixteen wins in two years helps. The paradise stuff, playing in South Florida where you don't have to worry about snow or cold. Now you got to worry about maybe the threat of a hurricane once a year. But, you know, they've really, FAU's done a great job of running with this paradise tagline, this winning in paradise. And I think that some of these recruits, especially these out-of-state guys, have really bought into it because they come to the stadium and they see this beautiful stadium that's not even 10 years old yet. They see Lane Kiffin. They see... Charlie Weiss Jr., his father, obviously they didn't know his name. You know, they see what Devin Singletary did, Aziz Alshire, Jalen Young, these guys who have come through the program in the recent years, found success under Kiffin, and there's a really good chance that they'll be playing on Sundays next year. Jake makes a great point about the indoor practice facility. That's something I can vouch for is we got rained out here at FIU today. So if you are uh, down here in Florida, having an indoor practice facility like they have at the University of Central Florida and other schools is huge. And just join us with that, Jake Ellen from the Palm Beach Post. Uh, in the transition to this last question there for you, uh, how did FAU have the best scoring offense in the league last year but only win five games? I know it's kind of a broad question, but it's kind of what's your take on it. Special teams is the thing I always go back to. You know, you lose by one point at Middle Tennessee. You lose by three points at North Texas. You lose by three points at home to Charlotte. Final game of the year, Jonathan Cruz of Charlotte. What a kick. 56 yards to win the game with 20-something seconds left. And FAU had some problems in the kicking game. You know, I think Vladdy Rivas, right, redshirt freshman last year, great kid, 10-17 on field goals. Missed five or six field goals in the season second half. A lot of those from within 40 yards. And when you miss a field goal from 50 yards and that's the difference, you say, okay, you know, it's not great. If you miss a field goal from 35 and you lose by three, well, there you go. That's the difference between five and seven and potentially six and six. And just finish up here as far as my set of questions. Those of you who may follow me on Twitter, follow Jake on Twitter, you may have noticed that. you have a bit of an ongoing Twitter banner. It's kind of a, a lighthearted thing here, but I've got to run this by Jake. You didn't get a chance to pick it up at the Shula Bowl. I'm going to ask you the cliche question, Jake. For those of you who cannot tell in your voice, you are a New Yorker. Um, what are your top five hip-hop artists? 
of all time or just my favorites? Uh, I'm asking you if you've got five that you're willing to pay money to go see, who would you want to see? Eminem is one. I've seen him. That was amazing at Yankee Stadium. Um, I would say Kanye, but Kanye, sometimes you go and see him and he cancels the show halfway through, so no Kanye. Um, Jay-Z, I think you can never go wrong with Jay-Z. Same with Nas. That's three. Um... See, this is tough. Those are the three I would usually go to. He hasn't done much in the past 10 years. I, I still want to see 50 Cent Live, a full 50 show. And this is going to sound like a weird one, but I do have a soft spot for Nicki Minaj, and I don't like much newer rap, and I feel like Nicki Minaj, something about just the way that she treats the entertainment industry and how she performs, I feel like she would put on an interesting concert. I like her. She's not my top five all time. She's not even close to it. But <laughs> among among active people, among people going right now, I would not be opposed to seeing Nicki Minaj. I had to go ahead and get Jake on the record there. If you guys listen to this podcast, we've got Butch Davis's favorite place to eat in South Florida. We've got Jake's top five hip hop artists, so I, I needed that on the record. And I, and I can't be mad at anyone on that list. As somewhat of a fan of a, of a I'm a East Coast New York hip hop guy myself, uh, I'm not mad at that list at all. So I'll go ahead and let my co-host Joe jump in here and get his uh, set of questions in. Sorry, I was staring at my Dave Matthews Band poster in my office here. Um, <laughs> uh, Jake, switching gears a little bit here, let's talk about the NFL draft. Uh, Devin Singletary and Aziz Al Shair kind of headlined the CUSA uh, players in the draft this year. What do you expect there in terms of when and to where they could possibly be drafted? With, with Singletary, you know, the pro day at the time we're recording, this is a week from today. He needs to run faster than the 4.66 he has at the combine. If he can get that down to 4.6 flat, maybe 4.61 or even under 4.6, I think that that'll greatly help him. You know, just based on what I've heard, just based on what the experts are saying, I think anywhere from probably late 2 to early 4, Maybe late four or mid four at the latest is reasonable. There's just so many. There's so many running backs in this class, and it's it's kind of a parody class because you don't have your Ezekiel Elliott, you don't have your Todd Gurley, you have Josh Jacobs, Singletary, David Montgomery, Henderson. You know, you have a lot of good kids to great kids, but not many elite, probably day one starters, generational guys. So Singletary, for me. He's probably I – I think he'll go mid-third, early third, kind of a Kareem Hunt-type situation, Alvin Kamara. Mm-hmm. Team picks him up in the mid-rounds. Maybe he challenges for a starting job. Aziz, that's dependent on how healthy he is coming back from the torn ACL. He did all his upper body stuff at the combine. That's not a problem. That's – that might be a Jack Sitchie situation, the kid who used to play at Wisconsin, where he tore his ACL, I think, August of 17. Mm-hmm. Obviously missed that whole year, participated, and then came back 
early training camp last year and was ready for the start of the Buck season and towards ACL again. So, you know, Aziz maybe is a guy who, if he gets drafted, could be ready to do some stuff at the start of training camp. You just have to hope that if he if that's the case and he is like Jack Sitchy, that he doesn't run into tearing the ACL again. Yeah, I certainly don't want to see that uh, at any level. Um, one of the headlines for FAU a lot, um, you know, at the beginning of last season and kind of all the way up until now has been uh, turnover on the coaching staff. How much of a factor did that play in, you know, getting the record that they did in kind of the current state of the program? You know, I... I've asked the same question, and I've got kind of differing answers, but the general consensus seems to be not much. I mean, obviously, losing Kendall Bryles hurt. And say what you want about the off-the-field stuff. On the field, Kendall Bryles is a genius. He's one of the best offensive masterminds in college football, and that's a guy who I still think within the next couple of years will be a Division One head coach. You know, so losing him hurt, losing Chris Kiffin, so late in the process where he took the job with San Francisco, I think right after signing day, you know, that hurt, but take out Oklahoma and take out UCF and they played the defense played fine. Most of the year, you know, mm-hmm. they gave up 31 to Marshall, but Marshall had a couple drivers where they started deep in FAU territory. They gave up 41 to North to a very good North Texas offense, Seth Luttrell, in my mind, might be a top two, top three coach at CUSA. I think he, I think he's top two. So I thought the defense was fine. I thought the offense sputtered a bit, but I don't think so much of that is on Charlie Weiss Jr., especially when Lane, that felt like Lane's offense later in the year. My, my biggest thing going back and watching some of those games, at least with the coaching staff turnover, was they didn't hit on as many big plays as they did under Kendall Bryles. They wanted to, and some of those plays, especially in games like against Louisiana Tech, where they were only held to 13, you, you go back and you watch it, you see that they want to get these these jet sweep flip passes going. They want to get these screens going, and they can't hit on them the way that they did when Kendall Bryles was, there, was here. Hmm. Speaking of, of Charlie Weiss Jr., just out of curiosity, uh, does his dad come around the practice uh, facility at all that that you've seen? Yeah, his dad came to a couple. His dad came to a couple practices last year. That's you know I don't want to compare it to Art Bryles because obviously it's two different situations. But I, I remember seeing Art Bryles in a couple practices when Kendall was here. You know, it's one of those things where they don't want to be there all the time. I think because. You know, it, it's kind of hands off. But difference is, Charlie Weiss is seniors, twenty five, thirty minutes away from FAU. Right. So he'll come down. I've seen him around the field. You know, I'm pretty sure I saw him at the fan fest last year at the media day right before the season. Haven't spoken to him, but you know, Charlie Junior speaks highly of him. So does Lane. And you know, I'm not a Notre Dame fan, so I can't complain about. Him. <laughs> Um, speaking of, you know, losses and, and coaches leaving, um, one of the, the storylines of this offseason for FAU is defensive players uh, who were a big part of this team for the last two seasons uh, graduating or, or moving on to something else. Uh, who do you think is going to step up um, in the meantime on that defense with the amount of players that they've lost on that side of the ball? 
I think Achilles Leroy is going to be a star. He's a junior linebacker. He played mainly special teams as a true freshman. Last year, he had 39 tackles, almost all of which came after Aziz went down in mid-October. He has that power five build. He's one of those guys, I don't know if previous staffs would have gotten him only because that's a Lane Kevin type of player. Big body, good speed, good acceleration, good eyes. That's a guy who I will not be surprised if he's an all-conference player this year. Interesting. Any any other names on that side of the ball that uh, we should really be watching out for? Yeah, James Pierre, cornerback, stepped up last year. He's, in the, he's a junior. That's a guy who... You know, Lane has really talked Pierre up because of his size. If James Pierre has another good year, I would not be surprised if he considers the NFL draft. I think he's 6'3", 6'2", which with some of these defensive backs, we're seeing they get picked higher because they can cover these bigger receivers at the next level. I like him. Rashad Smith, can't say enough about him. Noah Jefferson, guy who began his career at USC, was down in the JUCO ranks for a little bit. Randomly transferred to FAU last September, was playing three weeks later. You know, that's a guy, full offseason under his belt, full year under Wilson Love's uh, fourth quarter program. You put him up at defensive tackle in Stephen Leggett's old spot, that's a guy who's going to create some pressure in the trenches. Should be fun to watch, certainly. Staying on the topic of 2019, uh, the Owls finished last year with a record of uh, 5-7 and seven, uh, going into this season. What do you think is a reasonable expectation for them in terms of wins and losses or just overall performance? Well, I think it's anywhere from four wins to eight wins. Maybe nine wins at the absolute most because as we see, Conference USA has so much parity and so much weirdness every year. This is a good team. Still a lot of potential on offense. You know, they bring back Harrison Bryant, who, excuse me, finished last year as one of the best tight ends statistically in all of FBS. Brandon Walton's great on the offensive line. I mentioned the defensive guys. But, you know, they're playing at Ohio State. They're going to play a good, not elite UCF team that's going to be with, not elite only because Mackenzie Milton is most likely going to be out. You know, and, Conference USA, like I said, it is a weird conference because you look at a team that you think, you know, I think most people would definitely beating Charlotte last year at home and Charlotte won. But I think at the same time, people probably thought that Old Dominion would come in and shock FAU or that FIU was going to beat FAU in the Shula Bowl and FAU blew out, had a blowout win in both games. So I think, you know, right now, mid-March, I think, you know, seven and five is realistic. Eight and four is realistic. But I also think five and seven or six and six is realistic. There's so many questions that need to be answered. You know, I need to see progression from a lot of the guys that Lane has signed because the majority of guys that started the past years were Charlie Partridge guys. They're gone. But right now, yeah, anywhere from probably six to eight wins, I think, is not only the best case scenario, but the most realistic. Certainly not out of the question. And you mentioned the weirdness of this league. I think one of the uh, prime examples of that is uh, FAU's head coach himself, or at least the persona that he kind of puts out with the uh, Twitter profile and, and all that. Um, but regardless of you know the level of weirdness, it definitely seems like Kiffin is just 
he's in such a better headspace than he than he was at places like Alabama and, and USC and Tennessee. As someone who's been around that program very frequently the last few years, uh, in your opinion, is Lane Kiffin truly as happy as he seems to be with his current situation? I think so. You know, I'm I'm not inside his brain. I don't know if there is a part of him that you know wants to be a power five coach again, if there's a part of him that wants that job sooner rather than later. But I go back to, you know, this is, this is his third spring camp. How many people thought Lane would be lasting longer than two years, especially when, you know, they went 11 and three, two years ago. I think just being around him, I think he's really accepted this area, you know, embraced it. And I think there's a part of him that, you know, he's not the superstar. He's talked about being able to go to Publix or being able to go shopping and, you know, people don't stop him and ask him for 50 autographs. He's a, he's a quiet guy. And I think that down here in the place of retirees and snowbirds that he likes it. It's home for him. That's good to hear. You know, you never want to see someone be in like a, you know, in, in such a clearly like mentally kind of, I don't want to say destructive but clearly like he had a lot of pressure on him in some of the old situations and that's obviously gonna affect a person in a negative way um but to kind of wrap up here one final question uh you know you mentioned Publix chicken tender subs overrated underrated or right amount of uh love out there for them I would say the right amount of love you know I think people do overrate them a little bit but I also think that people overrate a lot of things that are close to them. You know, it's the same way that, and I'm from, obviously we talk about, I'm from New York, you know, you hear people talk about Chick-fil-A, mm-hmm. like it's the greatest thing ever. Chick-fil-A is great, but I don't know if I could have Chick-fil-A as much as some people, like some people talk about getting Chick-fil-A as much as they get up north, you know, Burger King and Wendy's and McDonald's, which is a few times a week. You know, public subs, pub subs, very good. I think you got to get them with bacon. I think you got to get some kind of spicy sauce on there. I don't know. I I don't know who underrates them. I don't, and I, I don't think you can underrate them until you try it. They're they are so good. <laughs> See, that's the, that's, the, that's, that's the best way of putting it. My, and I, I told this to Eric. My one problem is they take too long to make. That's when Eric told me you can place the orders online. And I did not know that. <laughs> and your life was changed forever. <laughs> My life will be changed forever the first time I actually order one online. I haven't had a pub sub in a while, but they're, they're good. That's the problem is you go, you're all excited to get one, and then it takes 15 or so, 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, my Publix is right across the street from me. So it's like, oh, I, I just want to, I just want to eat it. And you get home, and it's like, you know, a half hour later. Oh, okay. I, I now I have the sandwich. I guess I'm going to eat it. By the time you get it, the excitement's kind of died down. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Joe, yeah. Joe, I'm gonna let you close out the show in a second, but I just got to quickly piggyback off something Jay sure. said. Um, that's the key is why you got to order online, which he said he had never done because how they always get me is that I'll go in a public only wanting a pub sub. And then it's like, all right, I got 15 minutes to kill and I end up spending 40 bucks in addition to the $7 sub, which is what I, my main intention of coming there and getting. And then 
also the Chick-fil-A thing, I think, you know, Jake makes a, a good point in that, you know, as someone who I've lived here, I've lived in Chicago, I've lived in different places. I think it's all relative to what's close to you. Like I had a roommate who was, who, when I was at UCF, who would re- religiously eat Chick-fil-A, uh, four or five days a week. And, and I'm like, Jake, like, I don't know if I could do it that much. I think it's a matter of what's close to you, but, um, the spicy pub subs, specifically the, uh, the jerk Turkey with Gouda and bacon. That is the winner right there. That's the oh, that, that does, that does sound good. <laughs> well, no, no. And you're, you're a hundred percent right. That it, all, it is all relative to what's close to you. Because I remember living when I first moved into my dorm at FAU, FAU has a Chick-fil-A. So, and I moved in on a Thursday, so Friday night, I grabbed Chick-fil-A. Saturday, I thought about grabbing Chick-fil-A, but I wound up not grabbing it. Sunday, oh, Chick-fil-A is closed. Monday, got Chick-fil-A. So, yeah, you know, at the same, it's the same thing that, you know, if you live near a shopping center and there's a really good pizza place that's not a Domino's or a Papa John's or a Pizza Hut, if there's a good pizza place near you. You're going to go in there on your lunch break or when you get off work or when you get done with your classes, you're going to go grab a slice. For sure, yeah. No, I, that's, a, that's a good point. It, it, everyone just kind of develops that affinity based on like how often they – I guess it's out of convenience, right? Like you you tell yourself – even if even when it actually is good, you, you tell yourself that it's good because it, it's what you have access to. That's an interesting point, yeah. Right. Cool. Um, I think that's going to just about do it for us on this episode of the Underdog Podcast. But uh, thank you all once again so much for listening. And if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a review. It really helps us grow. So appreciate it if you take the time to do that. Um, Thanks once again to our guest today, Mr. Jake Elman. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at J-A-K-E-E-L-M-A-N pretty straightforward. And of course, check out his stuff with the Palm Beach Post covering the Florida Atlantic University Owls. Um, And then you can follow me on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. And Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And of course, check out Underdog Dynasty every day for more G5 football goodness. And with that, we will say happy football watching, everybody. And uh, Jake, once again, thanks so much for your time today.